to see you all this morning. Um, yeah. When now, for those of you who don't know our family, our family um, have worked overseas large for most of our lives, and we spent before we coming back to Australia recently, we were in New Delhi, India, for eleven years, and um, yeah, we've moved moved a lot. But I um, remember arriving in Delhi in at the end of 2000, November 2004. We arrived in New Delhi, and we arrived to their old international airport. They built a, a beautiful new airport for the Commonwealth Games in, in 2010, and they now have an airport that's ranked like two or three in the world. Uh, like it, it's, a, it's a really lovely airport and they built beautiful roads in and out to it. But that wasn't where we arrived. We arrived to the old airport and we arrived at about 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, if you drive around Sydney at 11 o'clock at night, it's reasonably quiet. And uh, We managed to find a taxi. We got in the taxi and then we left the airport and stopped. There was a traffic jam at 11, at 11 o'clock at night. And the traffic jam had every kind of um, vehicle you could imagine. So there were ox-drawn carts, there were camels pulling things, there were little um, auto rickshaws in Thailand, they call them tuk-tuks, but they're just called autos in India. There were buses, there were trucks, there were um, uh, taxis that actually you don't see so much now in Delhi because they're modernising, but they had the, what I call the big Batmobile taxis. There. And... Um, yeah, just everything you could imagine, and we just like crawled along. I think it took us about an hour. At, without that traffic jam, where we were going normally takes like about 10 minutes, but it took us about an hour to get through all this. And I was kind of like, what have we arrived to? <laughs> because I'd never been there before. I just said, yep, we're going to move. Craig had been beforehand. And I just remember being so overwhelmed in that first six months of just the sheer number of people, the need, um, yeah, left, right and centre. And I spent that first thing, time going, how on earth are we going to make any difference to this mess? Because that's what it felt like. Every, every, yeah, every, life was a mess, the place was a mess, everything. And you're just like, how on earth am I ever going to make a difference in this place? Then, yeah, I'll come back to that. But we came back to Australia in 2015. And you know what? I had exactly the same feeling coming back here. I came back here and went, they're so hard, they're so tough, nobody's interested in God. Um, they've got just because just you've got money doesn't mean you don't have problems. There's still just as many problems, especially because the, the, our society here is continually throwing God out the window and ignoring his principles and so... I just, you know, I talk to young people and their lives are a mess, their families are a mess, and I'm just like, how on earth am I ever going to make a difference in this place? And I felt the same feeling all over again. So how do we change the world? How can we possibly make a difference? And I'm sure you have felt that, you know. There's so many um, things that overwhelm us. It can be sickness and illness when people like David have an accident and you think, how on earth can we help them? Um, we know so many people with financial problems and having trouble 
even even just things like thinking about how could I ever own a house, which you know, is a, a first world problem really, but it's still a big deal. How, do, how am I going to make ends meet? How can I provide for my family into the future? So much relationship problems, people who just don't know how to relate to one another, bringing up their kids, so many. We know people all around us who have these problems. And then, because we're an internationally, socially media connected world, we know about the whole world's problems. And, um, you know, we are always being asked, told about famines here and people who are, don't have enough. We're talking about war and refugees has been is such a much bigger deal than it was even 10 years ago. The number of refugees in the world has just skyrocketed for all different kinds of reasons, but predominantly war. Um, this is a picture of a guy rescuing a baby in the floods in South India in Kerala, but this week we've had the terrible earthquake and tsunami in Indonesia and um, in their island capital of Palau, I don't know whether you know, but I've received about five or six different emails this week from different organisations all appealing for help. And especially from Christians, because it's actually quite a large Christian population in that place. And um, yeah, the church there needs our help as well. So you're just overwhelmed from all directions about how, about the amount of need. And it's really easy just to close down, shut off and say, I can't possibly make a difference. I'll just live my in my little world. And yeah, but we have a God who relates to us and he has given us a plan on how to make a difference and change the world. And he started it off by sending his son Jesus. And Jesus, as Ken was reminding us recently, that Jesus is man and God. It's God showing us how a perfect man would live. And so Jesus has given us some clues on how to change the world. So he gave us his greatest commandment and he also gave us the Great Commission. And I found a really good clue in this. I, if you look at that, the greatest commandment we all know We've heard it many times, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And I had a real aha experience one day meditating on that verse and it was that the word neighbour is singular. He doesn't say love the world as yourself. He says love your neighbour as yourself. And he doesn't say love... Um, the person on the other side of town necessarily. He says, love your neighbour, and he uses that word neighbour. So in other words, I was like, okay, it's singular, but it's somebody that I have a connection to, that somehow God gives me a connection to a person. But it's not always just because they're literally your next-door neighbour, because the person, the Pharisee that was asking him questions about this and gave him this answer asked who is my neighbour? He actually said, okay, Jesus, who's my neighbour? And then we get the famous parable of the Good Samaritan in reply. And if you remember that that story goes, that a man set off to do business, he loaded up his donkey and took all his money and he was headed off 
to do business and along the way he got attacked by robbers and got all of his stuff stolen. He was beaten up and he was left for dead on the side of the road. And then you have the progression of different people who come past. So you have, you have a priest who comes past, sees the man, but is like, I'm too busy. And, and also it's, you get defiled by touching somebody who's in that place who's like, no, I'm not doing anything. He keeps going. A Levite, which is the tribe of the priests, he comes past, he has a similar thing, goes down the other side of the road. And then a Samaritan, who is from a despised ethnic group, who he says, oh, he just stops and helps, even though he knows that in real life if this guy was happy and healthy, probably wouldn't even speak to him because... Um, they just despise each other. But he sees the guy in need, he stops, dresses his wound, bathes him, gives him water, puts him on his own donkey, takes him somewhere, pays for him to, to be looked after and ensures that that happens. And Jesus says to the Pharisee, who, who was the neighbour? And the guy said, oh, the guy who helped him. And so we have the clue of a neighbour being singular, one and somebody that God gives us a connection to. And so that's all that happened with this Samaritan guy, is he came along and found one person who needed his help, he was able to help, and he gladly did it. And that's what I believe God asks, is asking us to do, to help one person at a time. Whoever God's giving you a connection to, or somebody that's come across your path, can you help? then that's all you have to do is help. You do what you can do, not what other people can do. And I found I found that really like, okay, it's actually God who loves the whole world and he can do the whole world, but he's not asking me to do the whole world. He's asking me to do a neighbour, one neighbour. I can do that. And then you've got the Great Commission, which is the other main thing that we're, as Christians we're you know, left with this major instruction here from Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the, and I managed to lose age by the look of it. Um, yeah, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I always used to find that um, commandment a bit daunting too because it's like, go into all the world. It's like, oh, okay. And, but again, it's still disciples. It's not kind of like going to all the world and, you know, change whole countries. It's just make disciples, which is kind of like a person at a time. But it really helped me when I realised that in the original language that whole concept of go is actually more like as you go. It's not like therefore go, it's more like as you go. So in other words, as you are doing life, as you are going where and following God's leading, make disciples. So again, it's the people God connects you to as you go. And some of us get called to go a long way to do that and some of us just do it here in Padstow. Um, and sometimes God will take you different places and you'll get to connect people. But if you have that attitude of as I'm doing life, 
who is God bringing me into contact with? Who is my neighbour today? Who have I got an opportunity to touch, to do something for, to talk with? Then that just takes that burden and that pressure off of feeling like I'm supposed to do something big. The way we do something big is one person at a time. And the other thing about going is, is that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God resides in us. And, we'll, and we actually take the place of the Old Testament temple. And there's a reason why um, Paul in Philippians calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit is because in the Old Testament, in order to meet God, you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where you met God and did business with God. That's where you gave your sacrifices and your offerings and where you, if you needed healing or you needed somebody to testify to your healing, you had to all go to the temple in Jerusalem. But now we are the temples of the Holy Spirit and we take over that function. So guess where people, well, guess where people are meant to go to meet God these days? Us. Yeah, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and so people are meant to meet God through us. All the functions of we can provide um, forgiveness because we can put them into a relationship with Jesus who washes their sins away. We can provide healing because we can pray for them and God does that. All kinds of things. We now are the place where people are meant to meet with God, not the temple in Jerusalem. They don't have to go someplace. And that's another aspect of why I think we're meant to go because in a special way, when you take your physical body full of the Holy Spirit someplace, you're manifesting God's presence in a unique way just by going there. I used to actually feel that in India. I used to feel like just by walking around that place I made, and praying or even just being there, I made a difference because it was such a dark, spiritually dark place that you really kind of felt like you brightened it up a little bit just in your little spot just by having the Holy Spirit there with you and I think Jesus modeled all of this so if we look at Jesus he modeled it and he taught it so when he modeled it when Jesus came what did he do did he go to the whole world while he was here no he came to Israel this tiny little spot of land right there in on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea there he just came to that place. He didn't try to go further afield than that. He just stayed within that little area. He, so he's in a limited geographical area. It was estimated that he walked about 5,000 kilometres in the three years of his ministry. It sounds very daunting, but that actually averages out to four and a half kilometres a day, which actually isn't that much, is it, right? Four and a half kilometres a day. But that's four and a half kilometres every day <laughs> for three years so I'm sure there were some days where he walked they walked a lot more than that and some that they didn't but yeah he just went around that area did he go around calling big meetings no he didn't actually he had a lot of big meetings but he didn't orchestrate them or make them happen that people just came to him because they heard about the stuff that he did one-on-one -on -one with people and when they heard about what he did one-on-one -on -one, he had thousands of people come looking for him. So what are some of the things that he did? So his very first miracle was just at a wedding. He was just at a family friend's wedding. 
And it was because his mum said, oh, they're going to get embarrassed. They've run out of wine. That's so embarrassing. Can you help them out? And he just said, oh, he kind of like had his, almost had his arm because, yeah, okay, well, I'm here. I can do something about it. So he turned the water into wine. First miracle, just helping out some friends at a family wedding. He ministered to people as he encountered them and he also did life with them. So um, a lot of the stories we have are about him encountering people on the road, you know, the healing the lepers, giving sight to the blind, coming across the demoniac and casting out the legion of demons. Most of the stories are about him doing something with one person. Um, You've got some of his bigger miracles, but I was even thinking about, you know, the feeding of the 5,000 all started with them by finding one little boy and interacting with one little boy and using what he had to do an amazing miracle. The times when he had crowds around, he was often trying to get away from the crowds, but when they were there, he taught them, he loved them, he had compassion on them and he did stuff with the crowds because people came looking for him. And he looked to help them. He did what they needed. So did they need deliverance? Did they need healing? He taught them how to live in freedom and purpose. And, um, yeah, he taught them. And then the other thing he also did, wasn't it, was that he just had, he chose a small group of people to relate to. He didn't kind of try to keep teaching thousands and thousands of people. He chose, he had his intimate three and then the 12 and then a slightly big, and then a bigger group outside of that. But again, he focused on relationships and on individuals. Sorry. Yeah. He didn't do it on his own. He had on-the-job training. And that's what we try to do here at church, isn't it? Is Yeah. All help each other and teach each other and pass on what we know and help us all to grow. So Jesus did that. He modelled it and he taught it. Only God can love the whole world at the same time. Only God can um, speak to the whole world at the same time. He doesn't ask us to do that. He asks us to love our neighbours and as we go through our life, do something with the people that he brings across our path. And, yeah, because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit and people are going to meet through us. So... One of the ways God got my attention when I was in India, about six months after we'd arrived and I was struggling with this overwhelming feeling of like, how am we ever going to make a difference in this place? It was like that old thing of, you know, putting a drop of water into a desert and seeing that's how it always felt. I'm just putting a drop of water into the desert. But um, our church hosted a um, team from America to do a women's conference and they came... And they told a story which some of you at the time was quite a popular story going around. Um, But I was interested that when I did this story a couple of times lately, people hadn't heard it, so it's obviously gone quiet. So we'll resurrect this story. But it's a story about the boy and the starfish. So there was a boy walking along the beach after, after a big storm. And um, 
there were lots and lots of starfish washed up on the beach. As far as the eye could see, thousands and thousands of starfish having been washed up on this beach. And the little boy was working along and there was another man standing up watching the little boy and every, the little boy would walk along and he'd stoop down and he'd go and pick up a starfish and he'd throw it back into the ocean and walk a bit farther and pick another one get up and toss it back into the ocean. And he kept walking and finally he got to where the man was and the man said, what are you doing? He said, I, I said, why are you bothering? You're never going to be able to rescue all these starfish. What, what difference can you make? And the little boy picked up another starfish and he said, well, it's going to make a difference to this one and threw it back into the, into the ocean. And that's it, isn't it? We, we're in the midst of all of this overwhelming mess and we can't probably touch every single person but we can with the one that has come into contact with us throw one back and rescue that one who can you rescue who can you touch today think about where you're going or if you're at school is there that lonely lonely person on the outside that you could encourage and um, make a difference to at work, is there that grumpy person who's always annoying you, but maybe there's something going on, on in their life that you don't know about and all they need from you is a kind word and um, somebody to listen to what's going on in their world? You might, it might literally be your next-door neighbour that, that could use you to reach out and be a friend to them. There's people all around you, isn't there, that, you, that God puts you into touch with. And sometimes it could be a complete stranger, like the road, the man who needed the Samaritan's help on the road to Jericho. But it could be a member of your family. It could be somebody from church. It could just be, yeah, somebody who's already in your life that God says, that's the one person that I'm wanting you to impact at the moment. Just focus on them and do what you can with that person. Um, the... Other, there's an alternative ending to this story. So often you hear that story just said by that. But there's another ending to that story that I love, which is the man gets so touched by the little boy doing stuff, he goes back to his village, which is just, you know, back over that way. He goes back to the village and he says, hey, there's all these starfish, they need rescuing. Come and help. And so... A bit like, you know, when you see everybody turn out to rescue the whales on the beach and they all did that. So they all came and I wish you could all come and help me if you want to. But, yeah, together we could throw so many more starfish back if we work together and do it together. And there are times when we can do that, right? So, for example, with Transform Cambodia, we're going to work together to transform the lives of one particular area in Cambodia. And we have no idea what that could do. I don't know why I'm suddenly getting very emotional, but the fact that we could change a nation through a group of 100 kids because God will multiply everything you do. Every time you pick up and throw a starfish back, you have no idea what that person is going to do that you've rescued, how many people they're going to touch. It's a multiplying effect. We can change the world and we only have to do it one person at a 